let's get started with key number five this morning. Key number five is seeing my story with spiritual eyes. You're going to see it in Keys to Freedom as it's ta- it talked about being free from generational forces or generational patterns. There's different ways to say that. We're going to talk, uh, and you're going to use Deuteronomy chapter five is where we're going to be in that. And so it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so th- today is Deuteronomy chapter five, and we're going to talk about a lot about your, your root system. In Keys to Freedom, you've seen this image uh, right here that we have behaviors, but our behaviors are like leaves on a tree, right? The behaviors are just what you see, right? It's, it's the roots that determine the beliefs and the beliefs determine the behaviors. You see, the things you believe will determine how you act, right? That what you believe determines how you act. So, so often in Christianity, you know what we do? And I do this all the time. So often in Christianity, we tend to form a belief systems to attack symptoms. We go after symptoms a lot. You know, and symptoms are easy. You know why symptoms are easy? Because they're, they, they're the ones bringing you all the pain. You know, you, you, know, you, can, you can try to cure the runny nose and, and the headaches and all the weird things. But if you can go after what's actually causing it, then the symptoms tend to go away. And so... Keys to freedom is about us getting to the root source, the actual roots that cause that. And, and let me tell you something, man. Um, the, the roots of your family, and this today is, is kind of a weird one. It was kind of really hard for me to put together. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a really good preacher, and I'm a really good Bible study theologian, so it's, it wasn't that hard. Amen, that's right. I was waiting. I was teeing that up for somebody. Um, but uh, no, th- I, this, I was just saying, sometimes I just say stuff to see if y'all are awake or not. And y'all are obviously awake, so that's a good thing. Um, but this was hard. It was hard because it, it's kind of all over the place, but we all know it's true. I don't think there's anybody in here, I don't think there's anybody in here that would deny that you're, there's stuff in your family. I mean, come on, you know, we're not, don't worry, we're not going to come up here and make you confess all the things, you know, that you didn't like about your granddaddy or your mama and all that stuff. But we all, we all got stuff, man. And we and we, like it or not, it's not till you get older that you realize, oh, I mean, Jesus set me free, but I'm still working on, you know, mom or dad or that teacher. I've heard, you know, I've heard several people in the Keys to Freedom study, and I've heard several people just in my ministry life. They had teachers say things to them that went deep. You know? There's things we, we carry with us. And I mean, my family of origin is no different. I, I man, I, you know, um, I have a great mom and dad, and I really do. And, you know, um, I, I look back on it, and there's so many things I do, but honestly, I do them because my dad. You know, taught me to do them. Like I, my dad was really big. Uh, we we didn't have you know we 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 were we were a solid blue collar middle class American family. But daddy was really big on hey I don't I'm not made of money, so you take care of your gear. And then, man, if I left my baseball glove out, it disappeared forever. You know, I mean it was it was a big deal if I kept. If I, I remember one time uh, I, I used one of his shovels and I left some dirt on it. Never yelled, never went crazy, but he just had a, a look. And he said, is that the way you found my shovel? 
And that's all he had to say. I, I take care of my gear. You know why I take care of my gear? I, I clean my gear. And it's funny. I mean, I take really good care of my, my, my boots, my hunting stuff, my golf stuff. I, I take care of, of pretty much all of my gear all the time. And, and I look back on that. It's because my dad did. My dad was really big on taking care of your stuff. And it'll take care of you when you need it. Right? My granddaddy was really big. I wonder, why is it that I'm so adamant that all of my tools go back where they came from? Because I used to like to use my granddaddy's tools all the time when I was... He had tons of tools, but he had three tool sheds. And I, I mean, that is, that is Disneyland for a seven-year-old boy, right? What does this do? Let's plug it in and find out, you know? And, you know, it, it, his tolerances of me were amazing, you know? But I would... I would do all kinds of stuff with his tools. And, and that, you know what? He was cool with it, man. He was cool with it with, on one condition. It goes right back. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm having a moment of group therapy because I realized that, that, there were, that it, it wasn't until I was 8 or 9 or 10 that I did notice on his big wall there was outline traces of all the tools. Uh, maybe so I would learn that this one fits back right there, you know. He, would, he did actually do that. Gosh, that was, he was sneaky that way. Um, you know, my mom, uh, I, I, I'm really big on, I, I'm really big on uh, your clothes not being wrinkled. And you know why? Because my mother had a holy hate for wrinkles. I mean, like, for real. I mean, she hated wrinkles, buddy, and, and you, you didn't have wrinkled clothes, and it's why to this day I love linen, but my subconscious won't let me wear it. I, I, I can't, because every time I wear linen, I, as soon as I put it on, it's already wrinkled, and I see my mama going, you ain't walking out like that, you know? Uh, my, my mom was amazing. She hated wrinkles, and guess what? I just can't, this morning, I put this very shirt on. I'm getting really deep here. I put this very shirt on, and I noticed my collar was jacked up. Had to go take it off. And I didn't want to because I thought they'll never know, but my mama would. You know, I hate wrinkles because my mama did. And so I've learned, you know, a lot of the things I carry with me, man. I mean, you don't, whether you realize it or not, we are so influenced with the things. You know, when Michelle and I got married, she's not in here right now. Yeah, so if I want her to know you this, I'll tell her myself. So y'all, this is between us. Uh, so, you know, but when we got married, it was interesting how so many of the things we argued about in our first few years of marriage, they were not moral and they were not spiritual. They were brought with us into the marriage. Oh, we made them moral and we made them spiritual. They were not, right? See, Michelle grew up, you know, it's so, so radically different from me. I mean, I grew up, you know, on, on Saturdays, you know, you watch Sports Center. If it was too cold, if you couldn't go hunting, you couldn't go fishing, you couldn't play golf, or you didn't have a baseball, football, or basketball game, well, then you just slept in, you watched Sports Center, you ate a good breakfast. And, and Saturdays, especially all the weekends, were for doing all the things men do, right? Because that's what men do. And I'll never forget, we were married probably, I don't know, literally maybe a month or two, and, and I wake up on a Saturday morning. Let me tell you how, 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 how tough that woman can be. Um, I wake up on a Saturday morning, and she is, I am asleep, people, and, and she is taking the sheets off the bed. <laughs> and she's in her 24-year-old self is standing there, and she says, oh, it's, uh, it's Saturday. I have a list made, and these are all the things we're going to do today. I said, I'm asleep, man. She said, but, I, but we're going to get all this done. We're going to have the whole day to ourselves." And I said, let me tell you what's going to happen. It's November, which means college football game day's on. 
here in a minute. I'm going to sleep till about 1030. I'm going to get up. I'm going to eat lunch. I may go back to bed, and then I'm going to watch what football games are coming on because that's what, I, that's what God does on Saturdays, you know. Uh, and that was really weird. She, see, but in her mind, in her mind, no, 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 no. And, and so when I would go hunting or when I would go fishing or I would go do things with my buddies, man, we would clash because that's how I was raised. But guess how she was raised? On Saturdays, her daddy loved yard work. Well, you and I, have had, you and I as a congregation have had many conversations about how I feel about yard work. And, and so her daddy loved yard work. And because her daddy loved yard work, that's what men do. They mow the yard. They stay home all day. And then after the yard, they usually grill a burger. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's, that's people that do that need therapy. Like nobody, nobody, no. There was one man that did that. Your dad. Not, nobody else does that. Nobody, I promise you, no other man does that. You know? so, so we would get, but in her mind, it wasn't right. It wasn't wrong. It wasn't right or it wasn't wrong for me. We just brought that into the marriage. But that's what causes conflict, doesn't it? Because all she had to know was how she was raised. And all I had to know was how I was raised, right? It's not right or wrong. But boy, it sure does feel like it, doesn't it? We all bring things. And like it or not, we bring things into our lives and they become habits. And and it's not just true with families of origin. I, I learned as a Christian that my culture had taught me things. So you're going to find in Keys to Freedom that that generational patterns are not just in your family of origin. They're also just cultural in general. Let me, let me give you an example. I have to watch, even as I interpret the scriptures. I'm not kidding. I have to watch even as I interpret the scriptures. I cannot forget that I was raised in the South. And because I was raised in the South, I bring that to the Bible. Like it or not, I do. And, and so, you know, when, when I was raised in the 70s and 80s, and, and when I became a Christian, I began to notice one of the, one of the things that hit me pretty, pretty hard. You know, nobody ever set me down in high school or middle school. My granddaddy never set me down. My mama never set me down. My daddy never set me down. No football coach, baseball coach, golf coach, no teacher, no math teacher, no Bible study teacher ever set me down and said, Jason, you need to know you cannot date a black girl. And you certainly can't marry one. Nobody ever told me that, but it was very much implied. It was implied hard. And and you know how I learned things like that? I learned things like that from really, really derogatory words. Like when I, when I would have a friend that was dating an interracial dating relationship, I would hear somebody say, oh, they're mixed. As if we all aren't. You do realize that we all came from somewhere, right? We all, we all came from somewhere and those somewheres were not right here. And so my culture taught me, in fact, I would even go so far to say that my southern culture taught me that it was okay to date a girl from Hawaii. It was okay to date a girl from France. It was okay to date a girl maybe from the Philippines. It was okay to date maybe a girl that was a Latino. But I couldn't date a black girl. And so guess what? 
Then I met Jesus. And when I met Jesus, I discovered that he really placed no boundary at all on me. And he placed no boundary at all on you. At all. But like it or not, my culture even said that he did. In fact, I would even tell you what was interesting to me is that that my granddaddy's generation as a whole, in fact, my mom and dad's generation, and I've actually never had this conversation with my mom and dad about what they ever heard coming from the pulpit, especially my mom, but, but I know from church history, and I know from all that I've read, and I know from people that I've talked with, that, that uh, my dad's generation and my granddad's generation, it was even talked about from the podium in many churches. It was preached, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was just an established thing. And so I, I had to, so when I met Christ, I had to unlearn things that society had told me were valuable. Because the Bible always gets the final say. Did you hear me? The Bible gets the final say. My culture, let me tell you something, friends, and this, this goes all the way up to 2022 and beyond. There is never a time, there is never a time where God allows society to define biblical standards on anything. There's never a time where God allows society to define biblical standards. And that applies across the board. And so we carry these things with us and they're very real. And so today I want to break that down about our culture and our families of origin. And we're going to start with this question and that is where, where did, uh, let's look at it together. Where does the idea of generational sin come from? Because if you're doing Keys to Freedom, you're going to hear us talk about generational sin and, and generational curses. You may have even heard it say, uh, in fact, that's how I was first introduced to it a long time ago, the generational curses. So where does that come from? Well, if you got your Bible open to Deuteronomy 5 and the Ten Commandments, it kind of all goes back to a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9. In the Ten Commandments, this is what is said, you shall not worship, let me back up uh, to verse 8 because this is the The commandment. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth or beneath. So you shall not make for yourselves idols, right? Verse 9. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Here it is. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. So that's where it came from. But let's finish the verse. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So where where this whole idea of generational cursing, if you will, comes from, it kind of launches out of that verse, and it's often very misunderstood. And so today we're going to just, there's no way I could, it would take me two hours to walk you through all the different cases, but they're all throughout the Bible of how generations and generations fight different things. But what I want to start out before I forget it and just tell you this, okay? There is no, listen to me, friend, there is no such thing as a generational curse, okay? There's generational consequences. But there's not a curse. You know why? Because Jesus says that, that, the Bible says that Jesus took away the curse of sin and death. 
So because Jesus took away sin and death, you and I are not under any curse ever. We're not under curses. But I don't think anybody would disagree that there are consequences. I mean, consequences are real. So Jesus took away the curse, and we're free from that, which we're going to talk about a little more in a second. But based on Deuteronomy 5, I'm just going to lift a few observations. And I can't go really deep this morning, and that's what your Keys to Freedom study is for. But I'm, I want to tell you, I want to stop for a second and just tell you all something. If you will open your heart just a little bit, if you'll open your heart just a little bit, you're going to see that you're toting around, every one of you, okay? You hearing me? Everybody in this room, all of you in the chapel, everybody listening on live stream, including Jason, we are all toting around things that are in our root system that the Holy Spirit wants to get out. Things we were taught, told, hung on to, believed in our mind, even about ourselves. We are, it, it looks different for every one of us. Okay? But the good news is, you're not under a curse if you're in Christ. But there are some consequences to generational patterns. And, and based on Deuteronomy 5, here's the first thing I do want you to write down. The first truth is that God is serious about sin. God is serious about sin, friend. You may not be. But God is serious about sin. And God is serious about holiness, all right? He is serious about it. He is serious about it because what sin does. And I want to tell you, there's just so many generational patterns that we see influenced in the church based on what we see coming at us from the entertainment culture, all the things that we see from the political value systems that we face and carry. Families of origin, friends, churches, all that's thrown in the bag and stirred up together. And, and, and a lot of times what we, what we experience in even coming, bringing into culture, this is one that, let me, let me back up and say, I don't want to confuse you, but let me back up and say it this way. One of the biggest struggles that I face is that I only get you for, let's take the worship, me, Zach, Alexis, we only get you for give or take an hour, hour and a half once a week. Pop culture gets you 24-7, 365. And I'm telling you, you, are far, you and I both are far more influenced than we know or are willing to believe. We are far more influenced. God, and, and so God is serious about our holiness and he's serious about our purity. And he even says it in the, in the chapter before this. You don't have to turn there, but I put it on the screen for you. In Deuteronomy 4, he says, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and to your grandsons. Make them known to your family. So when he says keep your soul diligently, what is he saying? Well, you, we talk a lot about soul. In fact, this year, we're going to do a whole lot more talking about the soul because God's been showing me a lot of things I believe that we need to look at as a congregation. And, and we're going to talk a lot more about the soul in the months to come It's because it is so critical. What is your soul? It is your mind, your heart, your will, your attitude. It is your deepest feeler. And so what is Moses saying right there? He's saying, guard that thing, right? Guard your soul. What does Proverbs tell us? Guard your heart, soul. Guard it. Why? 
For it is the wellspring of life. Out of your soul comes life, good or bad. God is serious about sin. And he says it in Deuteronomy. He says, I'm going to visit the iniquity. Because God is serious about sin. And he'll tell you why God is serious about sin. Here's the second principle. Write this down. God is serious about sin because sin seeks to infiltrate. You hearing me? Sin seeks to infiltrate. It always seeks to infiltrate. I don't have a lot of time to go into it this morning, but I want to tell you, it's really fascinating. You look at the life of Abraham, and Abraham had some, when he was going about the land with his wife and the things that he pawned her out for and the things he lied about, guess who also lied about their wives? His sons. Where'd they learn that? Dad. I love the Bible for so many reasons, but I really love it because God doesn't play favorites and he doesn't skip over the bad stuff. We tend to spiritualize all these people in the scriptures and you don't realize, I mean, bad stuff going on. I mean, they really did. But so God is serious about sin because sin seeks to infiltrate. You know, I don't think there's any better picture of just how potent sin is than the Exodus. If you go back and read in Numbers, it is a a show-stopping, heart-draining, take-the-wind-out-of-you moment every time I read it. Every time I read it. Because Moses is trying to get these people into the promised land, right? Now, granted, they just came out of what? Paradise. Oh, nope. Slavery. They just came out of slavery where they were beaten, raped, brutalized. But, you know, they fed us a couple times a day. We had a roof over our head. It's amazing what you can get used to, isn't it? So they go through the desert wandering, and God is sick of their complaining. I got a whole sermon series I could do on that one. Like, I mean, we could go a year, man, right? They began to complain. They want to stone Moses, kill him, literally. That verse always gives me hope. You know, you'll get that on Thursday. Um, They want to kill him, and they want to go back to Egypt. They're starving. God brings them bread from heaven. It's called manna. And then then that's not enough. And and then in Numbers, God says something to them. He says to Moses, I've had it with this generation. I'm done with them. So you know what? See, God keeps his promises even when you don't keep yours. Aren't you glad? And he says, you know what? I told him I was going to let him see the promised land. And I am. Some of them. But because of their complaining, entitlement, hard to please-isms, you know what I'm going to do? I hope you like sand. Because you're going to live in it for 40 years. And every one of you that's 20 years of age or older, you will never see the promised land. Because of your lack of gratitude 
and your entitlement and you're grumbling against me and my leaders and so you know what, you're not going to see it and so you know what now why did he do that, does God mean nope, why did God, this is what always boggles my mind, why did God say everybody 20 years old or older I mean that's a long way down the line Because they were committing the sins of their fathers and mothers. They were committing the same sins. So when God says, I will visit the iniquity generation, he's visiting the iniquity on those that were continuing. This is very important. He is, don't lose this. He was visiting iniquity in Deuteronomy 5 on those that were continuing to commit the same sins. Mom and dad showed them how to commit. So they learned it, what we call by modeling, right? They learned to be ungrateful because mom and dad were ungrateful. They learned to complain against God and his people because mom and dad had done that. So because they began to buy into the sin patterns and sin themselves, God said, I'm going to clean all that out. See, sin, God is serious about sin because it, it seeks to infiltrate, and you, can't, you just can't lose sight of that, of that really real deal because you're not under a curse, but the, the truth is, friends, consequences travel, don't they? Consequences travel. If you grew up in the home of a man that beat your mom, you grew up in a home of abuse. Are you paying for that? You better believe you are. Consequences travel. If you grew up in a home of divorce, and most of you did, you see the fracture that divorce causes. Does it affect even your kids today? Yeah. Of how you do Thanksgiving and who gets to come to Thanksgiving. And how we got it. Mom, why do we pile up the car like six times on Christmas Day? Well, I'll tell you one day, honey, but not today. See, consequences travel, don't they? And, and, and there's no denying that. So God is serious about sin because what sin does, sin never... Let me tell you something, friend. Please know this. Sin of any kind never seeks to stay small. Sin never seeks to stay small. Ever. And so we learn things. I remember this. This is awful. What I'm about to tell you, but it's awesome too. Um, so, so um, we lived in Maplewood for about oh, I don't know, twelve years or something. I don't know, thirteen, fourteen years. We lived. That was our first house in Franklin, over there by Quinns and Sprouts, and all that was built in front of that stuff. But Maplewood was was is back in there, and a big pool. Huge pool. Uh, when, we, when we moved from Maplewood, we moved about all of, as the crow flies, maybe a mile. And you would have thought, according to my sons, we were moving to, I don't know, Bailey's. Um, by their weeping and wailing and just emotional drama. Everybody told us, oh, be so glad you got boys because girls are nothing but drama. Not true. Okay? Um, you know, our boys have plenty of drama. But... In our house at Maplewood, we had a bonus room upstairs, and that's kind of where we hung out because for whatever reason, the downstairs, it just it didn't work well, so we hung out in the bonus room. That's where we watched everything, and that's kind of where the family did. And we just had Cole, and Cole was about, Cole was about uh, 
He's about three at this time. And one night I'm sitting there watching Monday Night Football, and Michelle's sitting there, and, and uh, he, he was about three or four at the most. And we had to both notice, both notice that he was walking around in front of us. You know how like, when your kids are little, they like to kind of parade and do things? And, and so, so, I think one of the grandparents had gotten him a toy cell phone, like a flip phone. Remember those? Um, and back when you used to get phones for free, do y'all remember when we used to get cell phones for free? Come on, somebody. I mean, they used to give you cell phones, man, you know, but now, you know, now they're, like, they're like, I don't know, $8,000, you know, and, and so, so Cole's got this little cell phone. Honest to goodness, this is what he's doing, man. It's awesome. He's walking through, and I'm sitting here in my recliner watching football, and Michelle's sitting on the sofa, and we both happen to watch him because he's just walking different, and he's walking around with this phone, and he's going, and... And he's just doing this. And then he goes like this. This is awesome. Then, it, then he looks at me and he goes. <laughs> like that. And then, he, and then what's epic about it is after he gives, after he gives that, he starts smiling. And, and, and he, he's talking and he's nodding his head. And then like 20 seconds later, we're, sitting, we're speechless. We're watching this thing go down. And, we're, and all of a sudden, then he looks at Michelle. And, you know, and, I'm, and I, she looks at me and I'm like, that's us. Oh, my gosh. Like, he's not making that up. We must do that. We obviously do that. Who, do, do, I, do you do that? I do that. We do that. And, and he never breaks stride, man. Walks around, puts the phone down, goes back to his room. And I'm like, what just happened in that moment, man? You know, that's honest truth, man. And I got to thinking, Wow. Wow, like, he is learning things from me all the time. I had, he's like three. And then what do I do? As a perfectly emotionally and spiritually healthy parent, I start backscanning everything I've done. Like, what else do I do? What words does he know? You know. I mean, you start, you start panicking. Because you see consequences travel, don't they? Consequences travel. God's serious about sin because it seeks to infiltrate, but I'll tell you, it won't, stop, it won't stop there. God's serious about sin because sin seeks to dominate. It doesn't just infiltrate, it dominates. And so, so what, what would begin to happen, the reason that God says he takes generational consequences so seriously is because it will dominate you. Listen to me. Listen to me, friends. I'm going to tell you, I don't care how big Listen to me. I mean it, y'all. And I mean it because I am for you. I am so for you. But I'm telling you right now, I don't care how big Clearview gets or how small Clearview gets. As long as I am your pastor, the most important thing we will take seriously at this church is the holiness of God and the desire that he has that we have a pure heart I didn't say a perfect heart. And I want to tell you, the longer we go, mark my words, the longer we go in this day and age, a demand for purity among the people of God will become less and less attractive. And we will begin to pay for it. We will begin to pay for it. And I don't care how big or how small we get. We will, I will lead you and I will lead myself and you will lead me to pursue a pure, a pure heart and a pure life. Not because it's moral, 
but because sin seeks to infiltrate in what? Sin infiltrates, sin wants to own. And so you will hear me tell your sons and daughters and your grandchildren, you will hear me raise the flag of sexual purity and virginity until I go to the grave. Until I go to the grave. Because I get a front row seat at what happens when our sons and daughters break covenant. I get to see what happens. And I don't care if you don't think it's a big deal or not. I am not here to make you feel better about what culture tells you is okay. I'm here to make you healthy, happy, and whole based on the word of God. And that doesn't make me a hero. It doesn't. It makes me a messenger. But I, because you know why? I know that the people, the people that are serious about their walk with God, this is what I know. What did Jesus say, y'all? We got to cling to this verse. Blessed are the what? Pure in heart. What happens to them? They will see God. They will see God. And we will see him work. So God is serious about these things. But here's the foundational truth I want you to get because I don't think we see so many people, especially in the charismatic world, which I mean, I, I certainly lean that way. And, but, and I would hope we all, you know, happy Baptist is what I call them. And, you know, and, uh, and that's where I'm choosing to land on that. Um, but what does he say in verse 9? I will visit the iniquity of the fathers and the children, on, uh, that is, those that continue to sin. I, I will visit it. Of those who hate me. See, when you sin against God, you've told him how you feel. And, and when you live in rebellion and when you, don't, when, you, when you won't repent and you won't come to Christ and you live your own rebellious life, you, you've chosen to hate the things of God. And, and, and then the, but, but they don't ever finish the verse. In verse 10, it, it says, but showing, he, he says, I show loving kindness. You know what that means? That's a very long Hebrew word. You know what that word loving kindness means? It means ongoing and ongoing and endless mercy. Endless love. Steadfast love. Like on and on and on and on and on. And, and, and I, will, I will show, I'm, I want to show love and kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So I want to give you a foundational truth here, okay? This is so big deal. This is, this is coming right out of Keys to Freedom. This is, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I hope I'm always honest, but I'm going to be incredibly, incredibly transparent. You've seen uh, Ariana Walker and, and Rob Harvey up here, and, you, and we've been meeting with the, the folks from Mercy that have, have God has used so much in this study. And it was something I think that Melanie said when, when they were training our staff on how to help you get the most out of Keys to Freedom. Melanie said, freedom is a part of our inheritance. And then I sat there and I thought, are you right? I want you to be right. But are you right? What? And I wrote that down. And after the session, I went up and said, hey, walk me through that again. She said, freedom is part of our inheritance. And I, I, want, I want you to write this down. God wants me to understand the gift of his inheritance. This is the foundational truth. Because we're talking about generational patterns, Okay? And I'm going to show you a few key verses that I really want you to study this week on your own. And they'll bring life to your bones, man. But there's something interesting that before, before the, the Ten Commandments are given, before that law is passed down, in, in Deuteronomy 4, the chapter before it, there's something really interesting that happens. And, and it's, he says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments 
which I'm teaching you so that you may live. And that you may go in and take possession of the land which the Lord your God, the God of your fathers is giving you. Listen so that you may live. And friends, I want you to, I want you to wrap your mind around something right here. This is, in, this is so crucial to understanding generational patterns, I believe. The very fact, listen to me, friend, if you're a little bit, you know, stupefied, if you're watching from home and you're thinking about getting a bagel, don't. The very fact that a holy God would take the time to warn you not to step off the rails. The very fact that a holy God would warn you to stay in the lane of his pleasure and pursue obedience. The very fact that God is telling you, don't chase fantasies. The very fact that God is telling you, obey me, obey me, obey me so that you may live. I cannot think of a greater illustration of just how much he is for you. He is for you. He is for you, man. He is so for you. He wants us to live. So Galatians 5 says it this way. Paul said in Galatians 5.1, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. And he's talking to them because the Galatian church had bought into a whole bunch of toxic beliefs after they had met Christ and they were working through some really messed up stuff. And, 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 and he, but, but that verse always grabs me. It, Jesus set us free so that we can live free. And so when I tell you that, that freedom is a part of your inheritance, it doesn't mean you're entitled to it in that you, know, you deserve it. It's not about what you deserve. Because what Christ did for you is something you could never do on your own. He set you free. But look at what he set you free in. Galatians 4, in that same book, Paul says, Now you are no longer a slave, that is to sin, bondage, but what are you? You are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So, so I want you to break that down for a second. So when, we, when you hear it said in Keys to Freedom that freedom is a part of your inheritance, that's what it's getting at. Because what, what we're talking about here is that Christ did for you what you could never do on your own. He delivered you from your sins. You could never do this on your own. Okay, so he adopted you into a family you didn't get to create. He he literally set you free from sin and gave you a new family. Right? It's why you know. Do you know that's why some of you feel so much more connected to the family of God than even you do your family of origin. So many of you feel so much more connected to God's people than you do your mom, dad, and cousins. Sisters and brothers, why? Because God sets you free. He sets you free and he gave you his own name and he adopted you into his family. But that last verse says you are an heir. And the last time I checked, heirs inherit things, right? Heirs inherit things. We all know what that means. You are there to inherit things. So it is for freedom that Christ sets you free. He did not. You're, you, know, hey, you know what should bring you joy this morning, Christian? You know what should bring you joy? That when Christ sets you free, you are not going to inherit bondage. Aren't you glad? You're not going to inherit bondage. That's in your past. 
It has consequences. Your family has consequences. Even some of the things you do have had consequences. But let me tell you what's in your future. Your past, with Jesus, your past has no hold on your future. Aren't you glad? So all those things that might have been true, all those things that, that you did, all, all of them, all of them, all of the things that you did before you met Jesus, it's not part of your future. And all of the things that you have done, said, felt, desired, that were far less than holy after you met Jesus, those aren't part of your future either. Aren't you glad? I am. I mean, I really am. Seriously. Because I'm an heir. And so here's what I've learned as, as since... Since spiritual slavery is not part of my future, and since spiritual slavery is not part of my inheritance, well then, as a believer in Christ, the only power, the only power that the enemy has over me is power that I give him. And I want you to think through that for a minute. The only power that, that the enemy has over me is transferred power. I literally have to give it back. See, because I don't have to obey the forces of my old nature. I don't. I don't have to obey those forces. I don't have to obey the voices. I don't have to obey the desires. I don't have to obey any of it. So how do we move through that? Let me give you two sight lines quickly, and I'll give you two ways to practically live out this thing about your future. And here they are, okay? Ask God to reveal truth about your spiritual root systems. You need to ask God. Say, what do you mean, Jason? I mean literally what I just said. You need to ask God to reveal to you the truth about your spiritual root systems. Because you have root systems, and you have adopted beliefs, and you have transferred beliefs, and you have inherited beliefs from culture, school, education, friends, family, sitcoms, music, all, of the fam- all that stuff is put in a bucket, and it's stirred up, and it's called what you believe. And so we all have things in our root systems that really ought not be there, but we have to ask God what they are. And I'll tell you, this is, one of the, this is one of the things about the Holy Spirit that I think we often don't realize, and it's, it's something that the Lord showed me several years ago out of John 14. One of, his, one of the Holy Spirit's main movements and purposes is that he is what's called a discloser. This was huge for me when I learned this. Look in John 14, 21 on the screen. Jesus said, this is Jesus, Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. You see, you, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit will reveal things to you if you ask him. He will. He will. What is the Holy Spirit? Christ in me. Christ in me is the hope of glory. And so because of that, so guess what? When it comes to your root system, like we see the picture of the tree all the time, Okay, So you have a root system, just like this tree. You have a root system, and you have beliefs, and you have behaviors. Every one of you in here have behaviors, beliefs, and sources that those come from. And so you need to ask God, hey, God, 
Why do I feel that way so often? See, some of you have been locked in patterns and you don't even know why. But you've never asked God, would you reveal to me why I do that? You know, God, I mean, I had this happen to me years ago. There was this one person that I had kind of a bad attitude toward. Well, it wasn't kind of a bad attitude. That was just my way of making myself feel better by me. Um, I had a real bad attitude about this person. And, and I asked God, I went on a kind of a journey a few months of just marinating on, why, why, Lord, why do I do that? And he showed me. It came from a place of pain. The person let me down. And I didn't realize that it affected me as much as it did. So we, we, we have systems in place. And so you need to ask God to reveal. I'm telling you, I'm just telling you what I've learned. And the Holy Spirit will reveal those things to you. He really will if you'll ask him. And here's one thing I want to leave you with about some sight lines toward freedom as you pursue understanding your root system. It's this. Be sober-minded about the power of your legacy. Be sober-minded about the power of your legacy. What, what, did, what, what was said in these verses that you just saw? You, you, you saw God over and over again in Deuteronomy. He does it again in Deuteronomy 30. Write that down as, as a reference. Deuteronomy 30, 15. He does it again. He says, choose me that you may live. In fact, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it to you, and I, I don't want you to turn there. I want you to listen as it's read over you. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. Actually, you know what? Let's just all turn there. This is important, and we don't need to rush that. Flip to the right in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30, 15. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. That's a contrast, one or the other. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. That, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways, verse 16, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply. That's multiply your family. And that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are in, entering to possess it. Verse 17, Deuteronomy 30, 17. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. It's the greatest form of love. He's warning you, don't do it. You're going you're to commit suicide, spiritual suicide. And you will not prolong your days in the land. You will not where you're crossing the Jordan. And then verse 19, I call, this is so good, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursed. So choose. Choose. Choose life in order that you may live. You and your descendants. Choose life. God is for you. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. 
Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.